Welcome to the Inside Out Life, the podcast where we strive for inward reformation that inspires outward transformation in every area, marriage, family, faith, and life. I'm your host, author, and pastor, Chris Schimmel. Have you ever stopped to consider how much trouble guilt causes? Probably not, but believe me, it causes a lot of trouble. For example, guilt causes defensiveness. When we're feeling guilty about something and people speak to us, we can find ourselves reading into whatever they might be saying something completely different than what they are actually saying, all because of our own guilt. They might be paying us a huge compliment or even making a joke. And we aren't even aware of it because we are interpreting their words through the filter of our own guilt. This kind of thing happens, by the way, all the time. You know, someone might ask a simple question like, Hey, how's your day going? And because we had done something that day that we shouldn't have, we assume their question is to pry and that somehow our deed is known. So we respond something like, what are you trying to suggest? Guilt can make us defensive. But guilt can also cause us to hide the truth, which, by the way, always unravels trust, which creates more trouble besides. We'll do something that we know we shouldn't, so we tell a lie to cover it up. And then another to verify the first lie. And then we have to tell another to make sure the first two lies are believable. And by the time we're done with it, we don't even trust ourselves, let alone the fact that people probably don't trust us. But some people's whole lives are a series of lies to cover up their indiscretion. And no one trusts them all because of guilt. Guilt also causes relational restriction. I wonder how many people have destructive friends because the guilt they feel over the way they live their lives causes them to only hang out with people who will approve of the way they live. You see, being with people who don't approve of their behavior makes them feel guilty. So these people spend their their whole lives hanging around sordid characters, doing sordid things and destructive things simply because of guilt. So guilt causes relational restriction and ultimately more personal destruction. Before I was a Christian, when I was into sowing my wild oats, I only wanted to hang out with people who were also into wild oat sowing. I guess uh, it was the old adage, misery loves company. I didn't want to spend time with any Christians or responsible people because the fact they weren't into my stuff uh, acted like a beacon light shining on my indiscretions, reminding me of how bad I was. So I hung out with sinners like me. And unfortunately, it almost destroyed my life. Guilt also causes presumption. Because we feel inward guilt, we presume 
people are thinking judgmental things about us, whether they are or not. And we shy away from people because of our guilt. 95% of the people who don't want to come to church stay away because they're afraid that they will be judged for their lifestyle. And in some churches, I guess they will, uh, but not in most. And it's ironic because their guilt keeps them away from the only thing that could really ultimately eliminate their guilt. Guilt causes marital battles, and it causes parental battles, and it causes jealousy, and it causes bitterness and separation. Guilt is one of the biggest troublemakers in all the world, and most who are under its influence are totally unaware that the source of their trouble is this ugly little five-letter word called guilt. But guilt shows itself in even more ways than just the things I've mentioned so far. Guilt will cause a cloud of oppression to surround people that will manifest itself in hostility or fear or weariness or anxiety or depression or emotionally induced illnesses or low self-esteem. People say, I don't feel guilt. Well, it's because guilt morphs into other things. Guilt also causes criticism. How many of us have ever found fault with someone else because we wanted to point blame and get people pointing blame at that other person instead of us? It's guilt that does that. Think of the most angry, bitter, backbiting person you know. They are probably the way they are because of guilt. Guilt is a powerful and cunning enemy. But I think its most devastating results are seen in how it puts walls up between us and God. Now, why all this guilt talk? Because guilt is a primary deterrent to happiness and is the ultimate culprit responsible for us feeling dirty morally and ugly spiritually. And it doesn't matter how many ways, words, and excuses we use to justify our actions and our feelings. Guilt will leave its deposit of unhappiness on our hearts. And the only thing that can dig it out and separate our guilt from us is the forgiving and cleansing qualities of the Holy Spirit. In 2 Samuel chapter 2, David commits a grievous sin while his troops are at battle. He sees a, a beautiful woman, her name Bathsheba, whose husband is away fighting the enemy. He sends for her and calls her to his chambers and has an affair. Now, a few weeks later, she finds that she is pregnant and she sends word to David. David sends a message to the battlefield with a note to the commander to send Bathsheba's husband home so he can, unaware of the affair, sleep with his wife and cover up 
the circumstances. But it didn't work. Bathsheba's husband uh, has loyalty issues with the army, and he feels that it would be just wrong to wine and dine and sleep with his wife while his fellow soldiers are still in battle. When David's scheme didn't work, he sends a sealed note with her husband back to the commander saying, place him in the front lines of the most fierce fighting and withdraw the troops, leaving him to be killed. Well, it all happened as the king commanded. And after Bathsheba mourns for her husband, David marries her, and all is hidden. <laughs> Except, of course, from God. And the Bible says that the thing displeased the Lord. And I want to say, well, yeah, of course. And God's chosen king had committed adultery, murder, and a cover-up. Of course it didn't please God. Well, God sent a prophet, Nathan, to tell David a story that was intended to, to expose David's guilt and let him know that God was aware of and displeased with his sin. Psalm chapter 51 was written by David and exposed the guilt and the ugliness that was in his heart after he was confronted by Nathan. And this is part of what it says. And I want you to listen carefully because this text contains the secret to having a clean heart. David says, Have mercy on me, O God. Deliver me from blood guiltiness. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. Purge me and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. Please do not cast me away from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and renew a right spirit in me. You see, David felt dirty deeply and with it, there was no joy. When we have guilt from sinfulness in our hearts, we feel the same way, even if we've learned to mask it. But if we respond correctly, we have a heart like David's and cleansing is possible. If we don't respond correctly, and a whole lot of people don't, it perpetuates a whole different kind of ugliness in us. And we wind up having to deal with the trouble of a dirty heart. And most of us severely underestimate the value of a clean heart. Now, there were two times in my life when I was made acutely aware of the value of a clean heart. 
When Shirley and I, my wife and I, were first married, we were trying to hold out for a lifestyle that didn't include God. We had friends uh, we would go out and party with. We would essentially drink and get drunk and do and talk about things that ungodly people do and talk about. And that was basically it. That was uh, what uh, we were holding out for, I guess. Well, around the same time, pastors of a church in town were trying to befriend us. Reluctantly, we accepted an invitation to spend the day with them at a picnic and a local beach. And they didn't preach uh, to us. They, we just kind of hung out. After our day with these pastors, Shirley and I assessed and compared the two relational times with our non-Christian friends and with the pastors. We concluded after nights with our friends, we felt dirty and we felt angry because our friends didn't respect our property. They got into fights that made us uncomfortable and the day after our time with them, there was, you know, the hangover thing and, and we just felt guilty. However, when we assessed the time we had with the pastors, we realized that we laughed and we had a good time and we didn't do anything that we felt bad about. Well, because they didn't and we just felt awkward doing what we would do with them. And when we got home, we didn't feel guilty <laughs> or have hangovers. What was the bottom line? We felt clean after the one and we felt dirty or guilty after the other. And these two comparative relationships were key factors in my wife and I deciding to become Christians. Then, when I finally surrendered my heart to Christ, the feeling of, you know, squeaky clean, being that way spiritually was so overwhelming. It, it seemed all I could do for weeks was just cry tears of joy because I just felt happier than I had ever felt before. But I also want to share with you a second time I was made aware of the value of a clean heart. And I want you to pay attention because it describes some of the secrets to a clean heart that David's psalm talks about. There was a time I had plunged into a, a depression for about a three-week period. Now, most ladies know this, but some men may know about this too. If you cook in a glass baking uh, dish or just a pan, uh, sometimes residue is baked into the corners of the dish. And if you don't see it and diligently scrub it out, each time it could get missed and baked into the dish again. And if that happens, it comes out with much more difficulty. And I think that is a description of some people's lives. Because of the heat of dysfunction and other kinds of abuses in people's lives, the residue of sin 
gets overlooked and baked into the corners of their inner selves. When we come to Christ, all is forgiven, but what had gotten burned into the corners of our lives is harder to extract. And that is the way I describe what may have caused my depression. Wrong thinking because of my um, brokenness, woundedness, dysfunctional uh, situations in my life caused habitual behavior that created residue that was still lingering in my life. And it was bake, baked and seared and crusted into the corners and it needed to be exposed and scrubbed out. The scripture that I would use to describe this would be Malachi 3.3 where God talks about a refiner's fire that purges and refines all of the lingering impurities out of our lives. Well, when God came to me at the tail end of my depression, I was in a service at a conference. And in that moment, he assured me of his love and that he still had a purpose for me and that he was refining me for his purposes and I was just overwhelmed and it confirmed to me that the whole experience of my depression was intended to scrub out a significant amount of the residue of sin's influence in my life. Now when this awareness came to me just for a moment, perhaps five seconds, I felt such joy and such happiness. I could hardly contain it. I felt absolutely clean. It was the most bizarre and wonderful five seconds that I have ever experienced. And this feeling of clean and happy was so overwhelming to me. And it felt so safe at that moment. This is what I prayed to God in the quiet of my heart, right there in that church service. It was one of the scariest prayers I think I have ever prayed. I said, Lord, if that's what you are doing, refining me for your purposes, then refine me until there's nothing left of me. When I said that, I burst into tears. I was sobbing right in the middle of the service. Uh, Shirley had her hand on my shoulder trying to console me, but she had no clue as to the, the stuff that was going on in my heart right at that time. That was when I first realized the value of being clean spiritually and that it is a key ingredient to happiness. You see, the refiner's fire is scary, but its goal is cleansing and cleansing's result is joy. Clean is achieved by first acquiring forgiveness from God and then by allowing his spirit that enters us to speak, guide, convict, and refine us, scrubbing every stain out of the corners of our lives. David said, purge me, O God, 
and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Create in me a clean heart, and restore to me the joy of my salvation. The first secret to happiness, joy, is we are the Lord's, but happy is the person whose God is the Lord's. Psalm 144. The second secret to happiness is a clean heart, a perpetually clean heart. So wouldn't you just love to have a clean heart? Do you have any residue that has been baked into the corners of your life that you haven't allowed the Lord to purge and cleanse out of you? Thank you.